So as of today, the day of this recording, the SAG after strike is still ongoing and it's been many, many weeks since their last time at the table to negotiate. Lawrence, I was driving past a streaming service that rhymes with Netflix the other day, <laughs> and I saw this person who, like, they're striking, of course, and picketing and all the yay and honking, you know, I'm honking as I go by and screaming support, you know. And I see there's somebody out there who's kind of, I don't want to say wrangling, but wrangling everybody <laughs> and like, you know, they were uh, amazing. You know what I mean? Like everything wrapped up in one, like, you know, a leader, a cheerleader, a A producer, just encouraging a producer, like all kinds of things. And that's a strike captain. That is a strike captain. And guess what? We have one with us today. I know. I'm so excited because (laughs) this is like talking to a producer of the strike, let's call it. He's an actor. He's a jobber. He's what he calls himself a jobber, a working class actor. And he's really knowledgeable about VR and AI. And we're going to have an amazing chat. His name is Brendan Bailey. And we're going to get into it with him. Christian, hope you got your drink. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited about this episode. I have my drink. So roll the intro. Welcome to the Producers Happy Hour with your hosts, Sister Christian and Lawrence Lewis. We're two producers with over 20 years of experience each, chatting over drinks about what it means and what it takes to be a good producer. Join us for insightful interviews and informative show topics that will help you get through your toughest jobs, biggest production challenges, and most difficult clients. So grab a drink. You're going to need it. And let's get to it. Because making shit is hard. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks, friends. We really appreciate your time with us because we know you're busy on the front lines with your SAG brothers and sisters and, of course, WGA as well. But I want to start by saying you have an amazing TikTok uh, account with great content. That's where we found you. And if you all haven't seen Brendan on TikTok, you definitely need to check him out. He's at Brendan A. Bradley. And that's where we found you. And you're there extolling the realities of what is happening right now on the front lines. And I know we need to talk about AI. But first, I want to hear about the strike. And firstly, uh, how did you become a strike captain? Sure. I was out there with my sibling writer guild folks, uh, May 2nd, um, showing up mostly at the Warner Brothers lot. I was a little Mm. partial to there first. And uh, we actually did not have a strike system within SAG-AFTRA. This is a real moment of union literacy and union solidarity and Mm -hmm. community. We are building the airplane as we fly it. And (laughs) we, I was a, I (laughs) shit. And (laughs) uh, as producers are wont to do. Um, I've been on that plane. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been on that (laughs) plane. I've built that plane. (laughs) (laughs) Came without all the pieces. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And the Writers Guild captains nominated certain actors they'd seen on the line to kind of be the first wave of volunteers to get up a SAG after strike system with our incredible staff on the ground with us Mm -hmm. at the lots. And so I was assigned to Paramount and we immediately figured out a way to onboard Mm -hmm. new volunteers, train them up across five different gates and kind Mm -hmm. of take on this task of maneuvering uh, the bodies and the literal cars that are trying to get through the bodies throughout the day. Wow. 
That's amazing. Right. Like, I, wow. when you think about it, it's just like not just showing up and picketing. There's so much more organization that goes into it and just, you know, like, because there's people. There's tons of people trying to get places and trying to strike, right? Sure. It's a pr- it's a production. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, give us an update on the SAG strike, too, while we're here. Like, what's Fran up to? <laughs> I don't know what Fran is up through. I wish Dang. I did. I mean, okay. she, <laughs> I wish I could be in the room with Fran. Right, she did come out to Paramount a couple times. <laughs> but I, I think that we have the leadership folks really right. monitoring the situation of what's happening in the room where it happens, as you were. Even though the MPTP has not come back to the table, they are preparing that messaging and also activating people around the country. We can actually only strike a struck employer. So we can only go to the sites where the work would be occurring. So you can't just like in Nebraska, go out onto the line. Um, And so they are trying to activate and encourage and get messaging out to members across the country and the globe while we are holding down those front lines um, here in town. Yeah, when was the last time you guys spoke or, or been to the table? I believe the negotiating committee last heard from them on July 14th. Their position is they can only negotiate with one group at a oh. time. <laughs> um, you, you know, you know. Like, I can do, listen, I can do 10 people's jobs at one time. I don't get it. Look, as fellow producers, <laughs> exactly. I know that you only do one contract on a oh, given yeah. day. Um, you know me locals yes, I used is... to handle in New York alone? I'm sorry, but no. Oh, my God. No. no. So that, that is the current position. So now that they are meeting with the right they are not meeting with SAG-AFTRA, and hopefully we will get back to the table at some point soon. But we are ready to come back to the table yeah. whenever they are ready to receive us. Well, if, I mean, like, if, if nobody's talking, then how are you going to know? Like, how are you going to work it out? <laughs> it just sounds absolutely basic, well, and, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think the thing that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit is that this isn't even a strike about the contract per se. This mm-hmm. is a every three years scheduled negotiation. Right. Mm-hmm. We all knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. Everyone should have been prepared. Um, so while yes, there will always be the back and forth of any contract negotiation of what one side wants versus what the other side totally. wants, this is just trying to get people to even sit down at the table. Mm-hmm. And if the writers are any indication, it took over a hundred days of striking mm-hmm. to get them mm-hmm. to return to the table. Interesting. Yes. For the record, we are recording this at the end of August. So we're already, is that already six weeks or something like that? Uh, yes. It's been 46 days. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dang. Lovely. Meanwhile, so many other sectors of the industry are hurting, right? Like prop houses are closing, uh, costume shops are on the verge of closing, and countless other sectors of the industry are are, are suffering, let alone the crew, IATSE and Teamsters and, and PAs and non-union people. But you mentioned communications and messaging, and that really is a really important factor because we have been seeing a lot of noise on the internet about, oh, you rich actors, you know, (laughs) trying to get a bunch of money for, you know, you do one day of work and you Mm -hmm. want a bunch of money for that over and over again. And and, and you are really good with your content, making sure that people understand that you are what you call a jobber. You go from job to job. You are uh, not a rich celebrity. Um, (laughs) Tell us about that. How is that messaging so important? Well, I think that messaging is important because so much you were referencing the community that is part of the ecosystem of Los Angeles or any film community. It is a collaborative art form. There's an incredible army of people that make any creative collaborative project come to life. And that often does not mean 
the shiny special stars that do also get the financing right. and help mm-hmm. this machine run. They're, everyone has their value and their worth and their place within this. But most of these universes are populated by people that are just there for a job day to day. And that's both in front of and behind the camera. And so I've been very blessed to work on over 100 movies and TV shows and video games uh, just being kind of a small day player or week player here and there and occasionally taking on a larger role. But really there's integrity and honor in what was a robust middle-class life that not only created remarkable careers and kind of journeyman careers, but also propped up the economy and ecosystem of Tinseltown, of places like Los Angeles. These are people who bought houses, who funded the local economy, who go to the schools, who pay taxes here. And so when you start cutting out any middle class, you start diminishing the entire ecosystem around it, which is a conversation we're happening across the country right. with Hot Labor Summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sure is. Like, yes. The industry I mean, within the industry. Yeah, sure. and the whole residual system, which I know is so foreign for people that don't don't work in this industry, like, oh, you get paid over and over again for work you did. You were on set for eight I, hours and get paid over and over again. But that is... This, it's it's a it's of course usage of your likeness mm-hmm. for a product that is continuing to make lots of money for a certain sector of people, but that is how our jobs aren't three months, four months, five months, six months like other contract jobs. They might be a day, and if for you to be available for all the things that go around that day, the wardrobe fitting, the a table read, the, you know, all these different little bits and bobs, that that residual system is in place to make that this a sustainable business. Otherwise, if that's all you get is your one day, no one's going to be able to afford to do that. So Sure. Or you have to change the model. I think the residual model is the contingent compensation based off of the performance of the content. And so our upfront day rate, it was never intended to be the full payment. No. We have an entire milestone model baked in Mm -hmm. for contingent compensation, which allows entertainment product to be created at a low budget. We're we're lessening that upfront cost. I don't think there's any actor, at least I've met out on the line, that would say no to you paying the lifetime revenue capture of your work upfront. If somebody wanted to pay me speculatively $10 million for a movie because the movie might earn over time that kind of revenue, sure, I will take that (laughs) check. Let's take that check today. But I understand that that's unsustainable and it creates more Mm -hmm. diverse offerings in the marketplace. We can bet on bigger bets. And I think that anyone who's produced before has been the beneficiary of that favor, basically, of, okay, I can create something at a Mm -hmm. lower budget tier Mm -hmm. with the speculation that it's going to perform over time. And when it performs, I pay. And I get to reuse it a bunch. I get to put Mm -hmm. it in a bunch of different territories. I come from theater. You got to pay me to show up every night. The idea that you're able to start reusing and remonetizing this content Mm -hmm. other places is an incredible gift. And anyone from online community, uh, from the online creator community can tell you the burnout that comes from having to churn new content out all the time. And as someone making TikTok videos right now, which is not my normal practice, (laughs) um, I have immense (laughs) respect for having to put out brand new content. I would love to recycle some of this content and still get paid on it. That'd be great. We we were doing really well on TikTok for a while, but then we just 
fell, we just it's fell just apart. Exhausting. It's exhausting. Exactly. Is so sure, sure. <laughs> you have to think, you know, like, who's directing Lawrence? <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> but it, it, it's true. So it's like um, in the server industry, right? We have, um, you know, if I can remember a time when waitresses or uh, back when they were called waitresses would make, you know, two, three dollars an hour. And then on top of that would get tips, right? And so sure, if you, sure. <laughs> you can't just take the tips away and say, but you're only making your three dollars and so that model is based on how much business comes into the restaurant and how many tables you have and which is very similar to like how many people are going to the movies or is 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 this show going to hit syndication it's the same i mean similar so i don't i don't i don't know why all of a sudden they just why no why but all of a sudden they were like hey Let's just change it. Let's just stop paying that. <laughs> of course. every Well, every industry has these nuances of their payment right. calendars totally. and schedules. And when you just come from the outside, and this, I think, is a larger part of our conversation today, when you enter an industry from the outside with really no concern for how that industry is structured mm-hmm. or the sustainability of that industry... You can poke and pull it. Like we could all sit around and speculate about how other people should be paid all day, but oh, yeah. that, right. those models are there for a purpose. And I'll quickly, as an anecdote, uh, I have a friend who's an anesthesiologist and the way they used to get paid mm-hmm. was actually in two installments. He used to say, I get paid to put you to sleep and I get paid to wake you up. Right. And oh, if you want to take my away goodness. my contingent compensation, you can have that's that conversation fantastic. with the insurance. That's fantastic. It's true. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I... fantastic. Yes, <laughs> please, that. both. I'll take both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk AI for a second. So you had a TikTok where you brought up why this is such a hot button issue. Currently, AI can be used for good or evil, depending on who the person is using it, right? Mm-hmm. And the, and what the use is for it. Why don't you give us the cliff notes of what's going on right now? You have to separate artificial intelligence from the tool and the culture. And you can use any tool for good or for bad. Yeah. I mean, you can use a hammer for some pretty bad purposes, yeah. <laughs> or you can hammer in some nails. <laughs> I have um, at the end of the day, though, it's, it's just a query algorithm for large data sets. And so fundamentally, that can be used in an open concept way or a closed concept way. Open is, I'm just going to take all the data from the internet that I've scraped. I have no consent or permission to use that. I've not licensed it. I don't own it in any way. Or it can be a closed system where I'm feeding the exact data that I want because it's for like a medical purpose or research purpose. Um, And I think the potential of that as a tool, we look at that, it's already here. It's in autocorrect on our phones. It's probably transcribing the video that we're doing right now or the podcast we're doing right now. Um, There's remarkable use cases for this tool, but the culture for some reason takes the position that no one owns their data, which is just fundamentally not true and not sustainable. And when we look, the Copyright Office has already given us guidance on this, that no non-human authored contribution can be copywritten. Didn't Sarah Silverman, didn't she begin something because of her content? Absolutely. She's been a huge advocate for that because she's been inside these systems for a very long time. She really does love, she has a love of new technology um, and learning where the tool is versus where the negativity of some of this culture might be. Um, But ultimately, as of last week, there was a federal case that ruled that a piece of artwork that was generated could not be copyrighted because it did not have the human-authored contributions or it was scraping from contributions that were a different human author than the person seeking copyright. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess at the end of the day, if you wanted to copyright the prompt that you type in to the AI, 
that is human authored. Maybe you can claim that that's yours, mm -hmm. kind of in the way that some people mm -hmm. copyright a treatment. Um, but that's about as far as you can go. And I like to say that when we think of like AI art specifically, um, the, the most impressive stuff that we've seen is coming out of companies like Midjourney. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And we're not having a conversation because the founder of Midjourney, David, uh, hand drew everything that got mm. uploaded into Midjourney. We're having a conversation because tens of millions of copyright was stolen. And these tools ultimately could not have been scaled to be a useful tool without immense amounts of copyright infringement and theft. Yeah. And so there's a huge movement in the art community to at this current point say that all AI is theft because none of these tools currently in the mainstream are void of stolen property. Um, right. That's not to say that we couldn't make closed systems that mm -hmm. don't have stolen mm -hmm. property, but currently those aren't the tools we're talking about. The, the impact on actors specifically, I mean, I know probably a lot of people listening saw the press conference when announcing the strike and there was discussion of the offer and I never saw the offer actually in writing. And there was only discussion of it from the AMPTP yeah. about the use of AI, AI uh, with actors. And uh, I think it was speaking mostly about background actors. And, you know, yeah, you'll still get paid if we're going to use AI. You'll get paid for the day that you come in and get body scanned. And then we can use that uh, without limitation in perpetuity, our two favorite words, for not just that production, but other productions. Yeah. At least there was no Whatever. limitations put upon it to prevent that. <laughs> just use it. So, and that is just the tip of the iceberg of what is possible. We've seen it grow so fast in the past few years. And, it, it, you know, a three-year contract, if we don't put something in the contract now to uh, provide some protections against that in three years, imagine how good these Mo these uh, these these platforms can be and what they can do. Absolutely. Well, and I think that this early language, even though we didn't see it in writing, we've we've heard about it. Um, yeah. And I don't think that when we look at things like the uh, central casting terms of services oh, that I came out this week, that. yeah, right. Like <laughs> I, I think that this is very clearly <laughs> where people think they're going to be able to get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, we, we we have this temptation to literally reinvent the wheel, to try to bring right. new contracts, new language, new models every time there's a new technology. But we have decades of standards and practices mm -hmm. to rely upon because our contracts ultimately are just for use and reuse. And there's no production agreement that has ever allowed people to take a recording or a capture or someone's likeness for one production and then reuse it over and over and over again on multiple productions. Exactly. Um, and and if we're going to take that position, I think that it's a cleaner argument to suggest that your value, your data is actually more valuable in an AI system than it is in a single product. Because if I make one movie, I you have one movie. But if you're going to use me in a library for generative AI, my value is unlimited. I have exponential value. So frankly, yeah. I should be paid more. Yeah. I mean, that absolutely. makes a hell of a lot of sense. Just to put it in perspective for those out there in the commercial world, you know, we, in the contracts, like when you hire a SAG actor and you say this is a 60 second commercial, that's it. You cannot edit it into a 30, a 15, a lift, or any of that shit unless you tell, unless you pay specified. for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, the, and and you get paid more for that. So it's just, you know, you can't, at its purest form, that's it. You can't just use it unless you explain beforehand how you're using it. 
and compensate for it. (laughs) Well, and I love that you've brought up the commercial contract Mm -hmm. because I think that might give us a tool for the future for everybody that actually works for everybody in some ways. Because when we look at whether it's AI or whether it's digital streaming media where they host it on these big content subscription libraries Mm -hmm. and people watch it at different rates, the commercial contract allows a upfront day rate for Mm -hmm. doing the work, Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. capturing the content. Great, fantastic. Then every quarter, you've got a holding fee. Yeah. You're basically saying, we would like to continue using this content as uh, mm-hmm. uh, in our library. We'd like the opportunity to still hold the rights for this. And then when you use it, it triggers a fee. And I certainly think it could be pretty compelling to say you get paid to do the work. There's a holding fee for as long as you want to keep me in either the AI right. or in the yep. um the, the subscription library. And yep. that could be tethered to when you do your shareholder reports and tell them how well everything's going, mm-hmm. you can decide to renew our contracts for another 13 weeks. And then when something is created or generated or watched or aired or exhibited or whatever the correct verb is um, at, for, the, for the particular platform, it draws a fee. And yeah. that would allow milestone payments based off of our past to be future-proof. I know it sounds complex, but it really is that simple. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, exactly what you said. We did reinvent the wheel by creating a contract called New Media when things started going on the internet because there was no, you know, oh, there's no way we're going to make money on this. We're just going to put it on the internet to see what Billions happens. Billions later. <laughs> now, what we used to call broadcast TV over the airwaves, that, you know, that's the dinosaur. Right yeah. now, broadcast is streaming. Mm-hmm. That is what it shifted to. So, you know, and streaming, a lot of streaming, especially in commercials, still work under the new media contract, which means no residuals. You can negotiate rates and all, yeah, all these kind of crap. Uh, rules and requirements mm-hmm. are lifted. That is what needs to be figured out is, you know, the, the models changed, but the same systems of payment can still be applied and we can still figure that out. Christian, I just got a calendar for a job and the timeline is totally crazy. It's so short. Like, how do you stay organized during prep when these timelines are truncated like that? There is so much to think about and no room for error. And to be honest, sometimes stuff falls through the cracks. I don't know. Have you ever bolted awake at 2 a.m. and screamed, humane society? Oh, my God. (laughs) Or even like, oh, the caterer. (laughs) Oh, my God. The director wants fog and I didn't put it on the friggin' permit. It's insane. (laughs) What gets me through these jobs, though, and even just my daily life, is checklists. I'm obsessed with checklists. That's the only way I can stay organized. Even though we've been doing this for years, a solid checklist is super useful. Yeah, even seasoned commercial pilots, like airline pilots who have been doing this for 25 years, (laughs) use checklists for the most basic things. That's how important they are. I'd like to think that my job is way more important than a pilot's job, but whatever. (laughs) So we did a thing and made a new pre-production checklist. This one is built for contemporary filmmaking methods. And, you know, it's also geared towards the way we're expected to work these days. Yeah, which is crazy fast. So don't let anything slip through the cracks. Get the pre-production checklist. There's a link in our show notes where you can grab it or you can just find it on our website, producershappyhour.com. Go get it! The other thing I want to kind of come back to was the central casting thing, because I <laughs> wanted to talk about that. This this came out just a few days before today, which when we're recording this podcast, and 
For those of you who have not yet seen it, it was some sort of uh, email that was stating that by being signed to central casting, maybe you needed a second signature. I don't I don't really know those details, but basically any imagery, any recordings of you, anything that is submitted to central casting can be used by central casting and reused by central casting in perpetuity without limits. So obviously AI is on everybody's brain right now and who knows what the intention behind this release was. But my goodness, if there are any (laughs) actors or performers or anybody listening, if anybody wants your unlimited use of your image and likeness, do not sign that until you know more details about that. So that's some sort of debate ongoing. Maybe by the time this airs, that will be kind of figured out. But do you have any more insight into that? I do. And I, like, it oh, excites me, honestly. I'm, I'm so excited by this particular piece of news because uh. in many ways, what we're witnessing, if you, if you complement this with the Zoom terms and services that oh came God. out last month. Yeah. Oh, I was just about to say that. Fuck Zoom. We're seeing these companies that are deciding if they can sneak new language into their terms mm-hmm. of service that any active user just becomes owned by them, that that privacy data just becomes theirs. And there's two core issues with that. First, no. Um, But (laughs) when we look at, for example, what the SAG-AFTRA and WGA are arguing for with AI protections, Mm -hmm. with new media protections, with residual models, with all of this, we are just at the front lines of what every active user of the internet is about to confront over the next five to 10 years. Yes. And it is incredible incredibly important that we are all united as users in the world, as humans in the world, that our data is our data. And Jared Lanyard talks about this with data dignity of the idea that people should inherently own their data. And every single time it is used, they should have consent, they should have compensation, and they should have credit. Now, if some of these companies wanted to start funding our internet or our phone bills or sustaining our lives. I could see a path towards UBI even uh, using these models. Mm -hmm. If you want to start talking about the valuable exchange of IP and privacy data. The other part though, is that federally it's not allowed in 30 states in the United States, you own your likeness, you own your copyright. You have to barter for that in good faith in a fair contract. And it has to be consensual to to the terms and territory of that contract. So I'm not even sure that legally I can click a little button or an accept and have opted into overturning federal rights. Right. Um, that's not I, I and so I, I think that we're gonna see some very interesting legal cases regarding what the federal protections are going to be. And based off of that copyright news that just came through, I think the federal government is going to stick behind, again, decades of standards and practices and not just go, let's just reinvent it all. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I mean, I, I, the majority of them don't understand what we're speaking about, but sure, let's <laughs> let's trust them to do that. Why? Well, I'm fat. So I'm fascinated by this next thing. Not sure if it's a question or not, just maybe something to discuss. <laughs> but Justine Bateman's predictions of future use of AI and customized content on demand. And I know listeners, mm-hmm. you faithful listeners, have heard me mention Bruce Willis a gazillion times or the Irishman <laughs> or just mm-hmm. any of that. I, I mean, <laughs> and that's just the beginning. That yeah, is just the just fucking just beginning. The tip of the iceberg. I know. Yeah. And so it fascinates me because I disagree. I mean, it's just so 
out there as a concept to have personalized movies made with, you know, pick three actors and go for it. So how do you feel about that, Brendan? Well, <laughs> what I, I, I think it's a, compli- it's a complicated answer, um, and it's not meant to be a non-answer. But I first played with AI in 2021 mm-hmm. during the GPT-3 open uh, beta. Right. And I actually produced the first play um, written by AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell you, it felt cool to mm-hmm. watch the playwright develop that in chorus with a machine on demand. Um, I mean, we could tell what some of its references it was pulling from. So it wasn't his work, which was then complicated and weird. Um, and then I performed in virtual reality with the audience spawning uh, the world around me while I sang using prompts oh, cool. and pulling that from right. Dolly AI. Mm-hmm. And so there is remarkable application for this work. And I understand the idea of content on demand right. generating a story. I think the novelty of that is very interesting. I think we could reach a place that that could be a compelling mm-hmm. tool or parts of that could be a compelling tool. I think it'd be very cool to upload every draft of every screenplay I've ever written into some a closed circuit that no one else could right. generate from. And basically right. co-write mm-hmm. with myself in flow. Like that's very exciting. But I also think we have to get to the crux of, and this is, I think, the core thesis of a lot of what's coming out from the strike and the negotiations. We are dealing with entertainment partners or conglomerates that aren't actually in the movie business. Right. They don't actually make movies. Movies are a content, this lovely C word, is (laughs) a loss leader for a platform or to sell other products or to sell server space. Subscriptions, um, yes. Exactly. And so we have to really then get back to what are movies for? What are stories for? And I think personally, as an independent artist um, and as someone who's been a part of very big projects and very niche projects, let's look at what's happened over the last 10 to 15 years for some good guidance on what might be true in the future. With unlimited creative tools that we're all putting out there constantly on demand for anyone to watch, Mm -hmm. we aren't so enamored with just the creation. Art is inherently a dialogue between an artist and the audience. Mm -hmm. And without that audience component, we don't actually have the full promise or conclusion of art. And I think that fundamentally, part of the creation is the fact that water cooler moment The reason a show becomes a hit show is because other people watch it. Mm -hmm. The communal. Mm -hmm. Look at Barbieheimer. You can't manufacture that. Fucking love that. Yeah. (laughs) So if if I create content on demand for me, because I'm going to be on a train ride and I want to watch a Bruce Willis movie that I generated for the ride. With Liam, exactly. (laughs) And they're taking everybody. I got it. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go. Took it. Yeah, took it. I'm... I'm not inherently in dialogue with the artist Mm -hmm. because the artist didn't actually create that for me thoughtfully. So this wasn't their work made and crafted. I'm not experiencing the craft of storytelling at any level, but I'm also not sharing it with anybody else. I might share it with the person next to me, maybe, but from a humanity perspective of collective catharsis, we're missing the kind of the key ingredients. We talk, we love to talk about you know, for thousands of years, we've gathered around the campfire to tell stories. <laughs> but 
the fucking reason we did that was to be together, right. to gather. Right. And Priya Parker will yeah. tell us that that requires intentionality. And when you take the intentionality out of it, I think you lose the purpose of storytelling. And so no matter what you can generate on demand, I have optimism at least at the end of the day that we're going to want to do it collaboratively with other people. Mm -hmm. And right now those other people are on the streets fighting for basic rights. So if you're on the side of storytelling, get out on the fucking street. I'm done. I'm, I, yes, 100%. Because yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, would I watch on Twitch somebody else's film with Liam Neeson and Bruce Willis who just was making up shit? No, <laughs> I wouldn't. No. So you're right. These models are scraping previously created work. And the thing that makes movies really shine is someone's very specific, unique perspective Vision. on an experience. Yeah. And what these regenerative models or generative models are doing is just rehashing old perspectives, mm -hmm. maybe in a yes. new, maybe in a new combination that sounds interesting. Right. I never thought about, you know, this type of animal and this type of environment with this type of lighting, <laughs> but it's all using lighting this that's been adverb. done before. Exactly. Yeah, using this adverb, you know, so uh, at some point, it, it mm -hmm. is a dead end without new ideas and new perspectives being in, in, installed into it. Yes, and I think that that's where we <laughs> look at the central casting, the Zoom, yeah, all this exactly. danger of they're going to keep needing new data. Yeah. Right, they're, and they're going to keep needing it. to feed it, it from and it's going to be yours. <laughs> exactly. It it's going to be yours next. It is. Um, and if you want to help Microsoft make a trillion dollar tool that you don't participate in, I guess you can opt into that. But I don't think that the majority of humans want to do that. Um, also, listen to the customers. The number one talking point that I hear from my trolls on my TikToks and mm. Instagram videos. <laughs> oh, you have going, fans. Well, y'all. <laughs> Yo, I've got some big fans. Well, let's, com what? let's compare trolls. Let's compare I don't trolls. Know. What, well, later, later. What, I, what I've always loved about internet trolls, literally from the beginning of YouTube, because I've had them for a long time, <laughs> is they come back every day. I'm yeah. like, dude, thanks oh, for the engagement, dude. bruh. You're I really know. helping my algorithm, actually. This is a gift. It's Keep on coming back. Yeah. But the argument is like, well, y'all haven't made anything good in 15 years and it's all crap and yada, yada. And I'm going, what do you think the AI is going to do? If you don't like yeah. repetitive, regurgitated mm -hmm. stuff, that's what the AI is going to do. And look at Barbie, a, a billion dollars in 17 days yep. because we wanted to see what Greta would do yeah. with fucking Barb, with right, Mattel. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that, seeing a unique artist bring a unique vision to something we thought we'd already figured out, we thought we'd already seen, that should teach us the lesson and every studio executive should be listening. Right. We don't want the regurgitation. We don't want to be able to predictively query what's going to happen next. By act three, I felt like I watched that movie, act one, it was this gift of like, here mm -hmm. you go, Mattel, I did the assignment. Mm -hmm. Here, Here's my homework. Mm -hmm. And then act two and three, I was in the hands of an artist right. that I didn't know where she was going to take me. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. there for the ride. Totally. And I want to go to every movie like that. And, and that was a project, a script that went around the studio system. Nobody knew what to do with it because it wasn't a superhero movie. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. It didn't fit the It wasn't the Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and look at what happened. Like somebody yeah. finally made it happen. And you, you, you get something like that, the, some unique perspective. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's oh. commercially profitable. Oh, like, what do you want? You can have art and commerce? Yes. Are you kidding me? Yes. 
I was listening to some <laughs> some podcast or some story about how the studios were developed by a filmmaking and artist community. I mean, even yes. the heads of the studios at some point were invested in storytelling and filmmaking, mm-hmm. and they knew how to put components together and what actors to get, and they could see um, uh, potential in writers, and they could see potential in young stars, and they could create these uh, cauldrons of creativity where masterpieces came from. Now they're tech companies. And that's it. Yeah, they stream. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's streaming, streaming companies, companies and tech companies, that are, yeah. and that's how they perceive. My a friend of mine, one of those early days, started working at, I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon or one of the many other places, and and we did made movies together, right? We made Memento and all these other films, and she's like, it's not a studio, it's a tech company, it's a startup, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand how a studio would function like that, but now we're learning. What exactly? It took that twenty means. short years, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> twenty short years. Well, I, you know, I, I think that in entertainment, the entertainment was the product, and now the company itself is the product. This yes. valuation yes. of a company—that's all that matters—is that mm-hmm. valuation. Mm-hmm. But Stock prices, then it's ultimately quarterly, not stocks. That's yes, it. yes. I know. And, but then it's—it's it's not putting out any products into the world, and. At the end of the day, when it comes to whether it's subscription or valuation or mm-hmm. what have you, what I like to say is, first of all, we have more in common with our peers on the other side of the gates that we're outside picketing because they are filmmakers, creators, executives. They like telling stories. They want to make entertainment product. But also, if Americans can't make a living making American products, I don't know who they think is going to buy American happen. products. Yeah, exactly. So then that stock price will eventually go down. Well... Maybe well, that's what needs to happen for something major to shift in this in this. Are system. we talking about capitalism, guys? Oh, don't what? get me started. <laughs> well, but 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 is this capitalism? Well, <laughs> the rooting out of the middle class and the maximizing of profits sure. and the destruction of the environment. Don't get me started. I have um, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> hey, um, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. We really appreciate your insight and great. all the work you're doing on the front lines. This was a really great conversation. I think one thing that I would love to hear from you is, is you know, going back to being a jobber, that working class actor, what is the most important thing about this strike? You mm-hmm. want our listeners know and know that our listeners are film production people, directors, writers, actors, um, hopefuls, mm-hmm. actors, you know, what? what's the most important thing about this moment in time you want them to know? This is a check-in for the whole community. I'm a producer as well. I'm a director as well. I'm a writer as well. We are all in a marriage together of combined, crea- you called it a cauldron of creativity, right? <laughs> that is there, it is a it is a line in the sand, a moment in history of do you believe in making storytelling, or do you not? Are you on team stories and movies and TV shows, or are you on team something else? And yeah. that that is that's just a, a personal decision everybody gets to make. But I think that as a jobber, I'm not vying to be the lead. I'm not vying to have all the control or all the money or all the power. I'm looking to be literally just a part of the story. The support. Yeah. Um the yeah. the support. Um and to make a and to make a living doing it. And in a lot of ways, we are all investing in the future of not just each independent story that we make, but of the entire industry mm-hmm. and the economy of that industry. Um and I think that what we're really trying to do is make sure that there's a future 
not just for ourselves over the next few decades, but of the entire craft and medium for the future to come. Yeah. The so people coming me, up behind us. Everything exactly. everyone else. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a reason why it's been standard for as long as it has been is because you know it's it was fair and it was an equitable way to pay people and that and that just got blown out of the water with new media. Thank you yeah. again so much for um, your time. If Brendan, how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to? I am Brendan A. Bradley, all of the places. So if you go to any social media platform, that is how you will find me, Brendan A. Bradley. <laughs> Amazing. So, Sister Christian, how do people get a hold of you if they want you? SisterChristianProducers.com. And Lawrence, if they want you, how are they going to get you? Two ways. LTL. Uh, no, Lawrence T. Lewis.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Lawrence T. Lewis.com and VoiceOfLawrence.com. Thanks again, Brandon. Thank Brandon. you. Thank you. Producers Happy Hour is brought to you with the help of the handsome Christopher Daniels, who is a design and branding specialist, and Brendan Russell at podlad.com, who is our fabulous editor. If you enjoy this podcast and want to dive deeper, subscribe to our listeners' newsletter. Simply go to producershappyhour.com to sign up. Thanks for listening, and remember, enjoy happy hour while you can. Because making shit is hard. Hard. hard.